Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, presents with persistent symptoms of inattention, hyperactivity and impulsivity, causing impairment in multiple settings. It is a disorder that attracts considerable debate and controversy. A clinical review on the BMJ.com looks at the diagnosis and management of childhood ADHD and explores some areas of uncertainty. I'm Navjot Lada, Clinical Reviews Editor. We're joined by two of the authors of the Clinical Review, Dr. Mina Faisal and Dr. Ninka Verkel. Hello, Mina. Hello. And hello, Ninka. Hello. And to give a first-hand account of the impact ADHD can have on a family, we're also joined by Rachel, whose son was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 10. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Thanks all so much for joining us. Um, This is a very complex topic and there is a lot to say about ADHD, so we're splitting the podcast into two parts, first on diagnosis and then on management. In this first part, we'll concentrate on the diagnosis. So to start, Mina, can you tell us, what is ADHD? So ADHD is the second most common psychiatric disorder of childhood. It's an umbrella term to describe quite a complex group of symptoms that include hyperactivity, poor concentration and impulsivity. And it's not only that children have to have these symptoms to get ADHD, but that causes uh, an impairment in their functioning that's not correlated to their developmental level. Now, in the review, you describe how the prevalence rates and treatment rates vary worldwide. Can you tell us a bit about why that is? Well, this is part of the problem that we deal with with ADHD, that it is a group of symptoms that are prevalent in the population. So they're part of the normal kind of um, way that children will present, that you know, there are times where they're a bit inattentive, they're a bit impulsive, they're a bit hyperactive. But then ADHD describes kind of the extreme end of that spectrum. And so there is debate as to whether actually it does exist as a disorder because it could be just a way of categorising a group of behaviours and that cultural expectations of behaviour impact on it. On the other side, um, you could say that about blood pressure, about weight... Um, and so, so it's, it's understanding, first of all, do we think it's a disorder? And if it is a disorder, where does that cutoff lie? Because there's an element of subjective judgment in that, and that can cause difficulty and controversy. Okay, and sort of where are we with having a sort of consensus on that? Do, is there a kind of agreement globally, or do different places do things differently? Well, according to relatively strict diagnostic criteria, we, we see these symptoms throughout the world, and the latest kind of global burden of disease data shows that there is a prevalence in all the countries of the world that is somewhat similar, of you know around 2.2% in boys and just under 1% in girls. So... These symptoms are present throughout the world, but how often they're treated and how they're treated do vary considerably. So you would say there probably isn't great consensus across the world in how it's treated. And then thinking about the UK, our treatment rates are very different to some other countries. Okay. All right. Um, Let's talk now a bit more about how ADHD um, might present. Rachel, um, what were some of the signs that you notice when things weren't quite right? Probably the obvious sign is uh, the two elements that you notice most of all in our family was my son's difficulty in what are very simple practical transition points such as um, being asked to stop what he's doing to come and sit down for supper Um, and it would almost be as if 
he'd been asked to do something completely terrible and harmful to him and would make a huge fuss. Um, a number of those things are better now, but it's the very small practical transitional points in an average day that would cause an overreaction. Um, and linked to that is his impatience. Um, he can be very absorbed in something. He can concentrate very well if he is interested in it, but is very distractible and very impatient with something that isn't going well. He wants to achieve highly, is highly competitive, but finds it very hard to tolerate um, failure or a break in what he's trying to do. Okay, and at what point did you think, actually there is there is something going on here and I, I want to seek kind of uh, a medical opinion or an opinion from someone else about what's going on? I think those are two very different things. I mean, he's been like that at different levels, obviously different as a toddler and so on, but um, it's been like that all his life um, and at one level when they're very young these children you just accept it as being an immaturity thing um, and then gradually as they get older and I have three other children so I know what is age appropriate behaviour around an average um, and he began well he was not developing with the same maturity so by the time he was getting to eight and nine I was beginning to think maybe some intervention was needed. On the other hand, you always think if you could just do a little bit better as a parent, it will all be all right. Um, but by about nine, it was becoming more noticeable, not just at home, but some of his interactions with his peers at school. And at that point, I decided to seek external professional help. Mina, this might be a good point for to ask you to tell us a bit more about the clinical features and how a diagnosis might be confirmed. So well, there are a whole spectrum of clinical features and there are, um, I think what we've tried to do in the clinical review is really think about hyperactivity, inattention and impulsivity and think how does that really present and what's a useful way to try and understand this and how to make a diagnosis. So what we've done is kind of think about different areas. So the first area would be kind of school and difficulties with schoolwork. And many young children might you know, in the first few years of school where it's not as structured, you know, be able to manage. But as school becomes more structured, there are more demands on organising your time, on sitting still, etc., that actually that, that can become difficult and that the expected level of attainment does start to drop. So a child might start quite well, but for reasons, you know, that are to do with inattention or organising the ability of the child, their schoolwork might um, be below what is expected for that child. And then they can struggle, as I've said, to organise themselves. And that can become harder as they get older. They have to prepare their school bag. They have to get ready every morning and things like that. And many of these children need many prompts, you know, need to be constantly forgetting things. Um, and these are also common uh, presenting symptoms. And then many parents describe their children as constantly on the go. So they're always kind of active, looking for things to do, might run around a lot, might be incredibly sporty, um, and that could be a great thing. So they're you know, great sportsmen often. Um, but um, alongside that, they can also be less aware of danger, and that's a combination of the overactivity and the impulsivity. And so they might be children that need a lot of adult supervision, can hurt themselves frequently, might 
be, you know, parents and families that need to go to A&E more often than they have for other children. And then finally, there can be some strain in family and peer interactions. And in kind of together, if you've got children suffering or struggling with all these areas, what you don't want is for them to start, you know, losing friendships that impacting on their self-esteem, not achieving as well as they feel they should or their peers. And so it's at that stage where we, we think it's important just to really consider all those symptoms together and whether there's anything that can be done to support these children. Um, Mina, one of the things that can be quite difficult is knowing when a child might have a diagnosis of ADHD and when they're displaying normal behaviour. Um, what advice would you give to doctors or parents or teachers who might struggle with this? The key thing is functional impairment. It's what we call functional impairment. Basically, if it's starting to impact on their family life, their relationship with their parents or their siblings, as well as another area of their life. So if they're not able to manage at the school day, their peer relationships, they're no longer being invited for play dates. You know, childhood is such a short and precious period in a child's life. They have so many important developmental areas to grow in. They've got to not only grow physically, but emotionally, cognitively, socially. And what we want to do is ensure that children are developing to their maximum capacity. And so the minute impairments start, I think that's when you can start to, you know, understand a little bit more about this, maybe then approach your primary care physicians and say, what, you know, what can we do? We're concerned. It's not something that needs an urgent fix. These are often symptoms that have been present a long time. But I think it's important that the minute areas of functioning, you know, if their self-esteem is going to be impacted because of this, I think it's important for us to think about that then. And is it um, impairment in more than one setting? So in order to get a diagnosis, that would be essential. So, you know, it's not uncommon to find children that are very disruptive at home, but actually at school they're able to sit still, they're able to concentrate, they make good relationships in the playground, they can do extracurricular activities. Then we would think, well, maybe we need to think more carefully about what's happening at home, that these symptoms are only exhibiting at home. And so I, I don't think we would be pursuing this sort of diagnosis in that situation. Um, and Rachel, can I just ask you, how, what was it like um, receiving the diagnosis? How did you feel? How did your son feel? I think, it, to be honest, it was a mixed reaction um, because as a parent, you feel incredibly responsible if you are about to put your child on medication that obviously will have side effects. Um, a po more positive response would be, well, at least there was a diagnosis to work with for less really for us as a family, but for the school, they could respond um, in terms of making sure that he had a particularly structured day and is constantly given important things or he sees as important to do. Um, he's a child who responds very well, not only to structure, but to all these self-esteem issues of being given responsibility and being made to feel special. That's a nice overview of some of the ways in which ADHD can manifest and a quick guide to diagnosis. Thanks to Mina Faisal, Ninka Verkow and Rachel. And that clinical review is now available on thebmj.com. If you want to find out more about management of the condition, listen to part two of this podcast where my colleague Emma Parrish will be discussing drug, non-drug and dietary interventions.